Hey, listener, it's me, Kat. Uh, I just wanted to give you a heads up that this is kind of a heavy one. We end up doing a lot of discussion about uh, trauma and trauma responses and mental health. So even more than usual, if these are difficult subjects for you or you worry that they may trigger you or otherwise make you uncomfortable, feel free to skip this one. And there will be a summary of this one at the beginning of the episode afterward. So you're going to be fine. Okay. If you're cool with that, let's get into it. One hundred million years ago, there was a river. Most people can't conceive of one million, let alone one hundred of them, but it's true. Back when the mountains of the Coral Coast were proud, jagged peaks, and the cloud combs weren't even born yet, there was a river. It wound out of the proud mountains down over the lush plains to the sea, as many rivers seem to like to do. Over the course of its lifetime, it flooded and ebbed and changed course countless times until it settled into the shape of a broad, placid river with a wide floodplain, the kind humans would love if they existed yet. And on this floodplain there dwelled a god. Not a Daelith, not yet, but a living and moving deity. A god who laughed and danced and played the first music the river had ever seen. Welcome to Sword of Symphonies. I am your Mysteries of the Precambrian Era. It's me, Cat. Hello, mysterious Precambrian Cat. Hello. Welcome out of the Burgess Shale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's positively Mesozoic. It's Nick. I am. It's true. It's a fact that most people don't know about me, but uh, now you do, listener. God damn, yeah. Yeah. Neolithic, Paleolithic, it's all the same to Kirsten. <laughs> Hello. It's not all the same to Kirsten. She genuinely knows. <laughs> Paleo comes before Neo, yes. <laughs> Paleo, Mezzo, Neo. Yeah. Kirsten knows her old rocks from her new rocks. Yeah. Yeah. But all fun to say. All fun to say. And thoroughly modern, it's Kathleen. Hi there. How is everybody doing? Doing good. If we were museums, I could definitely see the time period you chose as our museums. It, it works. <laughs> you know me, I love a museum. I'm not sure I know what you're going for there, bud, but I do love a museum. <laughs> I felt that you captured our essence if it was in museum form. <laughs> okay. Yeah, touch this display to learn more, listener. Oh. Previously on Sword of Symphonies, the party opened up a cavern underneath the desert and found an ancient riverbed, long since fossilized in limestone. And they set up camp to avoid a sandstorm that was raging just above them. They couldn't light a fire, nowhere for the smoke to go, but... Tissa did a magic that roughly approximated the feeling of one. And the party did their best to take care of Gideon, who has a lot of trauma and upset revolving around being underground and who is not doing great at this point in time. Night fell, Sot fell asleep and Penelope fell asleep and everyone else is awake, staring at the fire or what passes for one in this particular campsite, while the tents go unused. And I think it happens just as Tissa predicted it would, which is to say that while Tissa is on watch, which is a formality because Gideon is not sleeping and Cobb's not about to fall asleep either, but Tissa mentioned something last session. A little pale scorpion warming itself by the fire, suddenly runs away, down into the darkness. Tissa gets two successes on sensitivity spirits plus compulsion. Yep, it is still night, and Tissa can feel it coming now. 
there is a feeling on the air like the sound of roaring water. It is dead silent in the tunnels. But you can feel what it sounds like. Mm, you are right. There's one coming. Cobb, can you get red? Yeah, I'll get her up. Then Cobb rises to his feet and heads over to Penelope and kind of shakes her awake. What? What? Uh, oh, what's up? Uh, we've 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 got company. Oh, get your stuff. Okay. Gideon also stands, sword bared. She is no longer trembling, but staring upriver. As a darkness swells on the edge of the darkness. And I understand I sound like a Kingdom Hearts game when I talk this way. (laughs) In the best way. (laughs) Just at the edge of the light, a darkness begins to swell. There is a great bulging amorphous shape lurching along the stone floor of this place. And you can all feel it now. What does it felt? A feeling like the sound of rushing water. And I would love for everyone to make adaptability tactics rolls, please. Two successes. One success, one edge success. And one success for Penelope. Okay. So that's four or five, if I know anything about mathematics. I'm going to try an inverse edge success. There's a special rule in this encounter. If you don't keep the edge success, I'll tell you what it is up front. Ooh. Cats watching me squirm in their mind's eye. (laughs) Listener, she's not wrong. (laughs) Listener, she's not wrong. Well, Cobb got an edge success, and I want to interact with this new rule, so I will not take the edge success to hear what's going on. Okay. This is Flash Flood. Its goals are to destroy, difficulty of six, to destroy the horror, to do a fight to it, to redirect, to cause it to take a different course has a difficulty of 10, and to outlast it, to escape the tunnels has a difficulty of six. It has a special rule that I'm calling undertow, which is if any attack from Flash Flood succeeds, the party can't advance a goal in the next round. That's mean. It is. Kat did warn us that this could be a easy encounter or could be very difficult, so. (laughs) The party goes first, as is custom. And the advantage pool starts at six because Gideon is immediately engaging it in combat. All right. Cat, are the spell pieces any different? They have not changed. Okay. What were they? What were they again? They were sand, shade, river, sheltering, and winding. And if Penelope would like to sniff around, there is also the word divine. So far, only Tissa is aware of that one. We'll make a roll to see. Is that a focus? Sensitivity focus, please. So, sensitivity. (laughs) Two edge successes. Snake eyes. Snake eyes. If you keep the edge successes, your next spell has to use that word. Okay. I think you fixate. Okay, yeah. Okay, That, that, that makes sense. I will take that. Tissa is going to cast River Respite to add to the assist pool. Okay. River Respite is going to keep the sort of, I guess, literalized uh, floodwaters at bay. Yeah. So I have two questions for you. The first question for you is, how much are you spending upon this spellsy? Uh, let's go with four. Okay, let's crank us up to 10. Please tell me more about what this spell looks like. I think that the Knot Fire glows a little bit brighter and 
moves towards the horror, sort of scattering it back a little bit. And it sort of has to creep around the edges a little bit more for a second, giving the party some time to take advantage of the situation. All right. I like that. Kind of gooey splashes away, leaving bits of itself on the limestone walls like somebody punched a mud pie. Uh, the cop is going to use, I guess, adaptability, humanity, and put thought in a tent. <laughs> and just keep him away from fight zone. Put baby in the corner. And that's a pretty good roll. Two successes. Okay. Let's add that to the pool. What is our pool at now? Twelve? Twelve. Which is great. Penelope is going to try to advance destroy. You could do it twice if you spend all 12. Don't do it twice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, By casting Divine Wind and carrying that fire, um, the magic fire, even further to try to scorch the horror. Okay. All right. I like that. I dig that a great deal. So how much are you looking to spend and how much are you looking to take from pool? What do people feel about three of my own, three from the pool, thus advancing it once? I think three from the pool is good enough. I don't know if I'd want to do four, but I think three is fine. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now our pool All is right. at nine. Just as an aside here, is like original concept of Cobb's signature spell feeling a little bit jealous right now with a divine wind going on here? Um, no, because that one was me being extra Kirsten at, at the GM. <laughs> yeah. That was me being more than a little, a little sassy at the GM. So I, I am fine. Well, the GM has spent most of this encounter being sassy at the players, so it's fine. It's my turn. Let's start with Sweep. The horror sloshes itself along the ground and an invisible force spreads throughout the cavern, threatening to knock everyone over. If you do not stop this attack, I'll make everybody roll to see if they lose their next turn. And we won't be able to advance any goals. Yeah, we should probably avoid this one. How much does it cost again? Three. Okay. I say spend it. This thing is a double whammy of action economy chicanery, so yeah, we definitely want to stop this. Yeah. Okay. I think the next one is Bear Down. Same force is rushing through the air, as if the physical air around you has acquired a troubling density and eerie velocity. And you can spend three, or everyone in the party takes four damage and won't be able to advance a goal next round. No thanks. Uh, three? Yes. Yes. It does, however, only get two turns around because I'm not a monster. (laughs) All right, so we have three rows remaining in the pool. We have three remaining in the pool, and now it is the party's turn. And Gideon Gaius Merciful utters a shrill, by her standards, war cry and drives her gladius into the amorphous mass. And it reels at this and spatters every which way. Tissa wants to use Daring mid-ranged weapons and activate her key of empathy towards the assist pool to aid Gideon in making her attack. Yeah. Three successes, a four, and an edge. Nice. That's a bunch. That's a bunch. If you keep the edge success, I'm going to stop just adding two every turn to the pool and start busting out Crusader abilities all the consequences that come there with. Yeah, that's why I paused. Yeah. Uh, we'll leave it on the table. All right. Um, I will take the point of perfection, though. Yeah, perfection. 
So that is an additional four to the pool for nine. I think Penelope is going to um, straight up try to destroy with Arrow. Try to destroy with Arrow. Just shoot it. Well, here, before Penelope tries to destroy, let Cobb give her some backup first. Oh, okay. Cobb is also going to be using Daring. Daring melee weapons, and he's using his key of solidarity. He's going to get in there with everybody else and just kind of yell to Penelope, back us up. And he doesn't like this thing, especially that it's here and trying to fight everybody. So he's got uh, his red and his blue sword out for yeah. this one. Red and blue. Red and blue. Yeah. And he gets a very, he gets a lot of ones. Oh. Uh, no. That is one success and three edge successes. Oh, wow. If you keep the edge successes, there's going to be so much in the pool. There's going to be so much in the pool if you keep the edge successes that I'm going to make Kirsten advance destroy twice. Oh. So we've got nine. That would be adding, that would going to 13. And she can do it however she likes. Yeah, that's the thing is, is Kirsten doesn't have to just dump 12. Nope. Yeah, so how good is Kirsten going to bow? Uh, I believe in Kirsten. I'm going to take him. Yeah! Woohoo! Yeah! Yes! <laughs> All right, Kirsten. We're all good, Kirsten. We're at 13. We are at 13. I hate to take away your autonomy, but you've already declared your intent to advance destroy. Yes. It's two or nothing. All right. So what I think Penelope is going to do is cast... Uh, sorry, is one of the words winding? Is that right? Did I write that right? That's what I have written down. Yippers. So could Penelope cast a spell on her arrow called Winding Arrow to make it more of almost like a a heat-sinking missile where it will be tricky and dodge around the horror, thus confusing the horror and making it more of a sure shot? I don't hate it, but I do. (laughs) I don't hate it, but I hate it. (laughs) <laughs> well, this just means that for future encounters, you need to think about every word and how you can staple arrow to it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Man, that's a yeah. lot. Like, we talk about Game Master's burden here. Like, in terms of prep, ev- I have to think about every word with arrow? Oh, man. I barely think of every word, let alone in combination. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I'm going to spend four on that. Okay. And then I'm also now going to shoot said arrow. So... Kirsten, you... I see where you're... Okay. Penelope pulls out an arrow and, while glaring at the horror, straight in its eyes? Doesn't have them. It's it's a big water... It's it's an amoeba, basically. It's a goo. The, The whatever could possibly be some kind of sensory organ for said goo. She wants it to know that she's looking at it. And takes the arrow and slowly, while looking at it, does the whole, like, you know, when you draw the finger across the neck kind of thing, like, you're next kind of thing, but with the arrow. And while she does that, the arrow goes and it's all shiny and flashy. And then she puts it to her bow and she shoots. Okay, now I got to make sure that I can no, I'm not. No, this is a spell. I'm not making you roll. No, I mean for the arrow, because that's my... Uh, oh, no, you're an idiot. I'm an idiot. Kirsten, you're not an idiot, first of all. That's forbidden. That's I was forbidden like, to I say. I can do a spell and roll long-range weapons. You absolutely can't. That is not a thing that one can do. You absolutely can't. That's almost as forbidden as calling one of my players an idiot. <laughs> all right. Well, then. You do cast a rad spell. So this now that now that my brain is back on track. Yeah, it's fine. I'm actually going to uh, can I uh, say instead of four six uh, from myself? Yeah. Awesome. Wow, yeah. that was a, a big brain part on my on my. Wow. No. Don't worry about it. Penelope's <laughs> really getting into this spell. We can. Oh, do she's so she's excited. <laughs> I think I got overexcited <laughs> with the whole thematics of the thing. You, you definitely went ham. <laughs> and, <laughs> so that's, and we're, then, taking, um, we're taking six from the pool, I'm assuming. Yes. Which brings the pool to seven. Yes. And advances destroy twice. 
Yes. Which means destroy has been advanced uh, three times. Oh, I've got great news. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Seven is the magic number. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh? So the first thing that happens is wall of water. There is a rush. Just an absolute rush of force. Threatens to overtake all of you. Either spend four from the pool, or everyone takes two damage, loses the ability to make adaptability rolls, and can't advance a goal next round. Let's spend the four. Brings the party to three. And I'm not going to use one of my threes, but I don't have a second four, so seven was the correct number. (laughs) Panic. The air is electric with the feeling of impending disaster and the sudden realization that you are mere millimeters away from being swept completely away and rendered utterly helpless. Either spend two or everyone in the party gains two scatter and can't advance a goal next round. We're gonna spend that too. Spend that too. Yep, especially seeing as Penelope, I think, is at eight now. You are correct. (laughs) (laughs) So the party is at one, and now it is the party's turn. So the party is at three, because Gideon is mercilessly hacking at this creature with an intensity and a fury that I don't believe any of you have ever seen. I think um, Penelope is going to take the opportunity to... provide backup to Gideon and this is going to add to the pool like fire a shot at the horror to kind of back it into a corner kind of thing and that was four successes that was such a good roll wow oh my god powerful brings the pool to seven Penelope's making the big rolls the big rolls and Penelope is pretty sure she hit it in the eye (laughs) <laughs> yep. <laughs> Cobb is going to use adaptability melee weapons to kind of, like, help Gideon out without just having her, like, completely lose herself to the bloodlust. She's experiencing some of that, yeah. Like, Cobb is used to fighting next to people, and I'm sure Gideon is as well, and he's just gonna get beside her and, and try to be captainly, I guess. That's our Cobb. Like, he's not going to, like, bowl her over or anything like that, but maybe, like get in her field of view and just be, you know, back me up, Gideon. Just be very obvious that there are other people here uh, that she is not fighting this thing alone. Okay. That is two successes and two edge successes. Hmm. Y'all are rolling so many ones. It's, It's a big day for ones today. You're really putting me through my edge success paces right now. Um, if you keep the edge successes, I'll give it three turns next round instead of two. How do you feel about that one? So we need to get 12 in order to win them, right? Mathematically, the worst it can do is 10. No, but I mean like we've destroyed three times, right? Oh, yes. Ah, uh, yes, that math. Yes. <laughs> Correct. We're at seven, so forward bring us to 11. Yeah, I think we'll keep the edge successes and we will let Tissa figure this one out. Tissa has a lot of help from everybody going going for her right now. Tissa is going to ice ray it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she doesn't use ice ray that often, but even down here, she still feels presence of the stars and the tugging of destiny and just from above as it's being pushed away by all three of her crewmates Tissa directs a icy beam of starlight even here underground and pierces the horror and it sort of bounces around and reverberates and we see the starlight glowing from within the horror as it fades away. Yeah. You know how, like, 
You can shine a light into a viscous fluid and it scatters really interestingly. Yes, I like that a great deal. And I think the air itself takes on this viscous quality, not physically, you can breathe it just fine. But in regards to the interaction with the cold light of the perfect stars, as it is channeled through Tissa, with the help of Tissa's crew. I'm assuming you're advancing destroyed twice, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. And it dissipates, seems to melt into the ground and spread outward, as if encountering a flat plane and soaking harmlessly into the ground or vanishing into the ocean. And the air is still quiet, but that presence is gone. That presence, like the sound of rushing water, dissipates and vanishes into nothing. Tissa looks at Gideon. She is standing where the horror was last, heaving, clutching at her sword, staring into the darkness at the end of the tunnel. This is gonna walk up next to her, but not say anything. She doesn't say anything either. Her eyes are fixed on the distance. On the darkness from which she is no doubt imagining further horrors to come. But none do. And eventually her shoulders slowly drop. And the short sword is sheathed, eventually. But her eyes never stray far from the darkness at the end of the tunnel. Even as Sot peeks out from the tent. I think for Penelope, she's lost kind of touch with the other people in the room. Immediately after the battle is done, she just kind of drops her stuff and is kind of grum like making noises to herself and uh, is huddled up with with Polly and just kind of not pacing back and forth because she's not standing, but if she was standing, she would be pacing back and forth and her eyes are kind of just darting around watching the darkness. Yeah, Pollyanna gives her a shove and opens her wing as if to say, come on, back to bed. And eventually Penelope settles down and and still kind of making these somewhat noises, but they've become more um, subdued. And then eventually she does go back to sleep. Pollyanna gives her hair a nuzzle as if to say, you've had a long day. You Aww. haven't. You've been <laughs> awake for about 20 minutes. <laughs> oh, Polly. Sod eventually clambers out of the tent. Cobb walks up to the other side of Gideon and he's put his swords away and just stands where he knows that he'll be in her peripheral vision, but like doesn't pat her on the shoulder or anything like that and just kind of crosses his arms and stares in the distance with her and just kind of says, we'll keep watch with you as long as we need to. And she nods at this. That is an arrangement that seems to make the most sense to her. She eventually goes back to her place sitting by the warmth of Tissa's spell and resumes her wakeful night from where she left off. Cobb goes back and sits down, but I don't think he's taken the swords off his belt tonight. Yeah. Asad has every intention of staying awake, but... Just like last time he had every intention of staying awake, he falls asleep against your arm. Aw, thought. <laughs> He's trying his best. He really is. He's trying very hard. Yeah. But sort of ultimately, there's not a lot more to be done tonight other than to sit and to wait. Um, I want to say something, but there's nothing really to say because 
you're right to be worried right now because there's danger and there has been and you've been through all of this so many more times than I can trying to express something about it I let's talk in the morning when it's safer yeah sorry to worry you Tissa Please don't be. She smiles a little. It's not her usual carefree laid back smile, but it's close. Closer, honestly, than you expect to see in this place. And some of you go to sleep. Some of you don't. That's not for me to say. I think if there's any recurring theme in my narration, it's that I don't get to tell you what to do. I'm not the boss of you. <laughs> I'm just the devil you bargain with. Ooh, nice. Thank you, Kirsten. <laughs> and yes, um, Penelope went to sleep once her adrenaline had uh, leveled off. She was pretty scattered, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. When Penelope awakes, it is cold. It is so cold. And Penelope, you're used to boreal environments. You know a thing or two about the cold. And you've been to the north. It is cold when you wake up. Your nose is numb. And there is a shaft of brilliant golden sunlight flooding in through the hole you all took to get into this place. When you wake up, it is day. It is early morning, at any rate. Lights coming in on a steep angle. Tissa would probably know something about this. I don't know that Penelope does. But the sunlight illuminates the complicated shapes in this limestone. The bizarre network of passages the holy place you found beneath the earth. And Sot wakes up. Also seems to have a numb nose. He kind of cups his hands over his face. Did Tissa sleep? Cobb looks over at Tissa and then back to Sot. I don't think so. But it's hard to tell at this angle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she wasn't really sleeping. Like, she tried to. But it's, yeah. Looking at the angle of the sunlight, it is probably around nine in the morning, you guess? And wow, is it cold. Yeah. Cold in hot places just hits you different. It does. It does, but... But that's the thing with here, is it's all from the sun. And we're not in the sun. No? Um, she stands up because people seem to be awake, and adaptability survival... Uh, how much of a pain is it going to be to get out the way that we came? How blocked is the entrance? Mm, not very, but it's pretty high up. Okay. It's going to be a pain. But you're not trapped here by any stretch. Mm -hmm. And two successes and two edge successes on sensitivity navigation. Is there any sense, or maybe just remind me if I asked this earlier, is there any sense of how far it is through the sort of divergent paths that we saw as we came in last night? Like how long they're going to be? Mm. You have a sense. It's one of those wordless phrases that these tunnels lead all the way into the mountains. 
that if you stay underground, you could find it. And that's kind of how you know that's not your own thought, because if it was your own thought, you'd have an antecedent for that pronoun, it. But you haven't. And that's peculiar. Yeah. Although I guess I'm not the one who gets to tell you what is and isn't peculiar. No, Tissa doesn't always have words for things, but she definitely has antecedents. Mm, yeah, that, that makes sense. And in the other direction... Probably those salt flats Cobb was looking at. Mm-hmm. But how long? Um, the salt flats are, by your best guess, probably about half a day. Mm-hmm. Not far. Strict, pure practicality says that this actually might be a safer place to be during the day, mm-hmm. especially during the heat of high noon. Indeed. Ice-cold practicality, like the sun-starved air of the caverns underneath the sand. (laughs) There are, of course, other considerations at play, but I'm not in charge of what you consider. Gideon stands up, stretches, tears her eyes away from the darkness at the mountain end of the cavern to walk back toward the entrance where you came in, the shaft of light coming in from above. And she stands in the sun for a while, silently. Salt starts rummaging through his pack for food. Finds some, I don't know, let's say some cured sausage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some cured sausage and some dried fruit sounds like a perfectly fine breakfast to have. Unquestionably. And like a good quartermaster, he makes everyone breakfast, by which I mean divvies up the rations so everyone gets enough. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Mr. Sot. He hesitates before going back toward the sunbeam. Eventually, Sot does approach Gideon with breakfast, which she smiles but waves off. Not knowing what to do, he returns to the fireside and wraps up the remainder of breakfast in case it's needed later. So, uh, where to now, Tissa? Mm, and Tissa's eyes dart all three ways, over and over and over, because the thing that she was doing, the thing that she wants to do, and the thing that she thinks that someone else wants are all in conflict and it's horrific uh oh oh no uh oh <laughs> it is excruciating it is the worst feeling yeah gotta make choices not only gotta make choices like three real strong strong things between, like, continuing to keep the momentum going versus what she thinks might be best but also difficult in another way versus the thing that is eating her up in a way that she didn't even know she needed because she wants to find it. Because something big happened to her all of those years ago. And it was there. And she wants to go back. Sot's eyes eventually start darting too, not in the three directions, but between Tissa and Cobb, who he desperately hopes will shed some light on the situation. (laughs) We could get out, but it's going to get so hot out there. It's going to be hard to travel, but that way is the salt flats. That's where we've been going. But this way, there's something that I remember. There's... Red, did you feel it too? Um... 
You mean last night? There's, yeah. There was something. It's still there. I'm not as sensitive as you, so I don't feel it now, but I did feel it last night. I think if there's something calling to you, then if that's important, we will go with you. You... Yeah, if we've come across something that you need to do, then we're with you. It's not safe down here, but it's not safe up there either. You shouldn't be talking about this without Ged. And so she stands up and walks sunwards. Hi, Tessa. How? No, that's a dumb question. Hey. Hi. What? What do you need right now? Uh, I don't know. We can't go back, after all. We Once you see something, you've always seen it. and it's not my... But you're hurting. I... Yes. I don't... know what to do about that. I don't... And before you say it, I know. It's safer down here, right? We used to say better down here than in the blizzard. Mm-hmm. We used to say. Mm-hmm. And it was true. Sometimes. Yeah. Not always, but sometimes it was true. here last I I wasn't or close enough to hear um I almost died out here all alone and and I heard something I felt something and it's still here And I could go find it, but I have all of you here with me this time. I I don't want any of you to get hurt. (sighs) I guess this is your labyrinth, huh? Um, A little. But you're here, and and I really need to know what you need. (sighs) Wow. I don't know what I'd do if I was in the labyrinth with all of you. (laughs) I'd probably lose my mind worrying. (laughs) 
so we're going to be okay. We're together. Okay. If you're going to be okay, then we're going to be okay. Hey, we have no choice but to be okay, Tissa. What else are we going to do? <laughs> huh. It's, we got to hold the line, right? I never thought of it that way. I'm not okay down here. I Okay, I hate being underground. I hate it. I, I don't want to be underground. But... But I'm going to be okay because I have to be. And I'm going to hold the line. Okay. Okay. Don't worry. I trust you. We're going to hold the line together. Mm-hmm. And it is still not her usual carefree smile. That's not going to be appearing for some time. At least not till she's out in the fresh air. But it is closer. A lot closer. And with that image, with the two of you standing together in the sunlight, as the angle changes by degrees and noon threatens to approach, I believe it's memory time. Oh my gosh. Okay, my last, my memory has to be the last scene with like Tissa's decision and like having to navigate two very, very strong desires that are very opposing, but also equally like valid. Literally, I almost forgot I was a player and was just invested in that. <laughs> Oh, like my heart. It's just like, oh. I don't know in my heart of hearts whether she made the correct decision or not. It's a, a statement of where I guess I am personally that that felt selfish to even make my player character do, even though that's important for like the character's like self actualization because this is fiction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I totally feel you. I, I absolutely feel you. <sighs> no, but for real, like, re-traumatization is not something to fuck with, and this is a really bad situation. Yeah. Yep. Oh. Yeah. And then Gideon, like, oh, we'll hold the line together, and just like, oh! Oh. Like, she's putting on a, on a very, ah. Just keep using combat metaphors, which is not particularly... Which is not particularly a, great. No. Like, a great sign. <laughs> No, it's like in the real world, the correct thing to do in this situation is to like get out of the cave, even though it sucks, get back to civilization because it's really not that far out and like take another go at the expedition another time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Part of my brain was like, well, maybe uh, Gideon and, 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 and Sot could like, we could bring them back. Yeah. Like kind of, but that's different than how story work. <laughs> Anyways, that was, whew, that was a, that was a C. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's been a good arc. It's a little rough one for me because Cobb would absolutely be taking control of this, but that is, I am, I am, this isn't my arc. This is Tissa's. So I gotta, I gotta let Tissa drive. Gotta let Tissa drive. Yeah. What would Cobb's response be here? WWCD. What would Cobb do? Come on. We're going, we're mm -hmm. going back. Just, just automatically. Yeah. Just it's get it's not like Gideon is not yeah. gelling with this at all. And yeah. if this was Cobb's arc, we would be going back. Mm -hmm. Just it's that simple. He's like, nope. Well, that is still an option. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe he'll float it, but also he he does respect the autonomy of of the rest of everybody else. So, you know, he can't force everybody to do things. So if Gideon says that she's going to do something, then I mean, Cobb just has to let her. 
Yeah. And I mean, I think from Gideon's perspective is, uh, I don't think she's capable of imagining a non-traumatic pilgrimage. Mm -hmm. So as far as she's concerned, we're all traumatized here. And that's not the case, but that's how she sees the situation. It's like, no, Tissa's traumatized by desert. I'm traumatized by underground. We're fine. And that's, <laughs> that's really not uh, really a great way to be viewing the situation, but she's got a lot of ways of viewing situations that aren't particularly wonderful. <sighs> hey, listener, uh, normally I do something extremely glib uh, to try to get us onto the off-ramp, but um, hey, uh, take good care of your brain, hey? Hey? If your brain is doing whack stuff, try to talk to somebody about it. Try to get help because, I mean, your brain's capable of doing all kinds of things and not all of them are healthy. So please take good care of yourself and uh, your mental health. It's extremely important. Yeah, oh, geez, it's hard for me to get onto the off ramp now. Yeah, it's a bit of a heavier one this week. A heavy one this week. Yeah. Um. Like ended up extremely personal for I think all of us on this call. So, yeah, that happens sometimes. That does. So, so listener, um, if you would like to speak with us, I guess uh, you can find us on Twitter at Peach Garden RPGs, or there's an email form on our website, sort of symphonies dot com. You can find us there as well. We would love to hear from you. We uh, we value your listenership, and we're glad that you're here with us. And uh, we will catch you next time. We love you, listener. Yeah. Take care of yourself, everybody. Be gay. An LGBTQIA actual play podcast network. Hi, I'm Kendrick. I'm Gus. I'm Hilda. And I'm Marcy. And we're the cast of Tales Yet Told. An actual play podcast dedicated to telling weird and fun stories full of imagination, thoughtful characterization, and inclusivity. You should go listen to our first season, Strangers in the Wood. Where we play Babes in the Wood, an over-the-garden-wall-inspired tabletop RPG by Adam Voss. It's fun and spooky. And full of weird characters, like Dex the diner owner and Miss Jackson the parrot desk attendant. And with lovable player characters like Dakota, Dorothy, and Walter the Weasel. Follow us on Twitter at Tales Yet Told for more details and look out for new episodes every Wednesday. So go out, eat well, sleep enough, and love yourself like we love you. <laughs> <laughs>